Um, some of you, uh, just a quick shout out. Uh, how many of you got a chance to partake or participate in uh, the Understood Betsy uh, performances over the last four days? Anybody? Wow, wasn't that good? Special shout out to the Forsyths and all involved, all in sundry. It was a great uh, uh, play, that, a musical that uh, one of our members put on this week uh, to create song from nothing, inspired by a book. Uh, just really, really cool. And uh, what a privilege to be part of that. Really great. We want to celebrate when God does cool things in our midst, so we uh, take a moment to do that. Um, in case you don't know who, I'm at, who I am, if you're new here this morning, my name's Derwin. I'm the lead pastor here. We got a special, I'm glad you're here this morning. We uh, are wrapping up this series we've been in uh, on abiding in Jesus. And uh, I, I, I had someone give me some feedback this week, and they said, there were parts where I felt really comfortable in your series. <laughs> like... And there were parts where I felt really uncomfortable. And, and their view, his, his point was, I think that would be about the same for everybody. There, there was probably uh, one of those pieces that we talked about in how we abide in Jesus that would be challenging to each of us. And there'd be those that we're just more comfortable with. And, and kind of that's, that's where you kind of have landed. As we've talked about, this, this series has really been trying to answer the question, how do we respond to this extraordinary invitation of Jesus that he makes in John 15, 4, where he says, remain in me as I remain in you, or abide in me as I abide in you? And I want to think about that question this morning, uh, and, and just for a, a couple minutes. And I'm going to then invite you to, and I'm going to just wander with the microphone. No one's going to be forced to speak, but... How have you experienced abiding in Jesus? Is that something you'd be prepared to share briefly, just in a, in a brief word of testimony, a way that you've uh, experienced that personally? What does abiding in Jesus look like for you? Uh, we talked about it. Just take a look at the screen. Uh, one, one more. We talked about the three kind of historic streams of abiding in Jesus the evangelical, which is engaging in, in God's word, spending time in, in holy scripture. Uh, sacramental practice, that sacramental, uh, it's a, a fancy word for sacred. And uh, it means that everything is sacred in a sense. Uh, you living your life, and we can expect to meet God throughout our lives, and so we want to create kind of a reflective approach to life where we're looking for God through practices like silence. Through, through practicing the presence of God, actually uh, just becoming more aware of his presence throughout our days. And then when we gather as well, uh, through times of, of, of communion, the Lord's Supper, this is one of Christ's sacraments that he gave us as a gift of meeting him personally, experiencing his presence in a special way. So sacramental. And then there's Pentecostal, which is an openness to the things of the Holy Spirit which we talked about the, some of the implications of that would be uh, a prayerful life, not just contemplative prayer, which we see more of in, in the sacramental approach, but also sort of believing prayer, kingdom-orientated prayer that God would break into our experiences. The kind of prayer we're going to pray today at the end of the service uh, with our elders and prayer team, where we're praying that God will heal some of you, that, that as you bring your need to God, that he actually will meet you. And so those are the, sort of the three ways we've talked about abiding in Jesus, and I, I, I don't know what your experiences has been, and so we want to 
um, have you have an opportunity to share a little bit. And, and again, just keep it brief so that we can have more people share. And then once we're finished, we're going to read some scripture, invite Angel up. She's going to give us a reflection on that scripture, and we'll have our prayer time at the back. Who wants to go first? Just go to the next. Yeah, there we are. What are some of the ways you've experienced abiding in Jesus, in your journey with, with Jesus, in your journey with God? What does that look like? And, and if you want, you could say what maybe has challenged you even in that series, if that's something that you prefer to answer in this series. Or what does abiding in Jesus look like for you? I, I listened to this. I, li- I listened to Derwin talk the last few weeks. I'm not really sure if I abide in Jesus. I'm not really sure if Jesus abides in me. I'm not really sure if Jesus knows me. But this week, <coughs> I, uh, I didn't go to work Tuesday and Wednesday because, of course, bad weather. So Thursday, I figure I better get in early. So Wednesday night, I go to get gas at 10 o'clock at night. But Wednesday afternoon, I had heard some news about one of my sisters. She's got brain cancer and lung cancer. And on Wednesday afternoon, she found out there's two more tumors in her brain and two more tumors in her lung and one on her renal gland. So I, I, just, I want my sister to know the spirit. I want all my sisters to know the spirit. And that's been on my heart. So I'm going to get gas and I'm praying about it because God and I talk in the car. Sounds, well, like the, a, sounds like abiding to me. The gas. I talk to God. Everybody, everybody in New West is getting gas at that Shell station. So there was one pump, and I had to kind of drive around to get onto it. Well, I'm driving, and boom, boom, over the island I go. And yeah, I said, darn it. So <laughs> I'm filling up with gas, and I'm thinking I should go see what damage I've done, but... No, let's just pretend it's not there, God. And the pump across from me, this nice young man comes out and he goes, excuse me, ma'am, do you know you have a flat tire? Oh, it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) So I just ran over the island. So he said, do you need, or are you going to be able to change it? Look at the face. I don't change tires. No, no. What are you going to do? I said, well... I'll call a tow truck, I guess. He said, if you want, I'll change it for you. (laughs) Thank you, sweet Jesus. Anyway, pull the car over. He changes my tire. As we're talking, I said, well, it was just me and my foolishness. I wasn't paying attention, my sister, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, I've just come home from Bible study. Oh, well, thank you. He tells me about his family and telling him about mine, and I said, oh, he said, are you going to be able to drive with this little donut? I said, yeah, yeah, I, I just live not too far from here. Oh, where do you live? So I told him where I lived, and uh, he was telling me about his family, and his in-laws are pastors at the Salvation Army Church. I said, oh, I know somebody in my building that goes to that. He said, who? So I gave the name. He goes, oh, Auntie Betty. Like, <laughs> Jesus, if you're not here with me. So it just, it just really put me on a high to think how God gives and takes away. So he's, 
like I hate to say it, but he's taking away my sister, but at the same time, he's given me hope and, and has just showed me that he loves me even if I'm silly to get a flat tire. Thank you, that's awesome. It's so good. Anybody else? Challenging question, isn't it? Colleen. I certainly can't top that story. Um, I don't know if some of you know what the challenges I've been going through over the last little while with my mom. My mom is, um, she's in Royal Columbian. She's been in various hospitals since beginning of November. Um, last, not this Friday, the last Friday, um, the, her doctor called me at five o'clock on Friday and told me that um, they've x-rayed her lungs, it's emphysema, and it's terminal, and she should have hospice. And this doctor told me that there was virtually no hope and I should be looking at hospice care. And that uh, palliative team would be available, uh, will be assessing her, and they will give me the results. Okay. <laughs> Fortunately, last Sunday, which is a later service for me, I came to the 11 o'clock and I had the blessings of sitting next to Kevin Slater, who some of you would know that hospice care is, is something he's very well aware of. He answered so many questions for me, settled my heart, and gave me rest. And I know the Lord arranged that for me. I know that. Well, this week, as the hospice team is going through their process, which I understood a little more, thanks to Kevin, um, I got a phone call again, 5 o'clock on Friday, which seems to be this doctor's modus operandi, and said to me, you know what? I have good news and bad news. And I said, okay, let's hear the bad news. And she says, your mom is not hospice worthy. And I said, excuse me, that's the bad news? And she says, well, yes, that's bad news because hospice in pain management, it's, it's better. And I said, excuse me, <laughs> but I see that as wonderful news because we can move forward now. We can go with our original plans now. My mom can continue with the care and residential and the plans that we had made on a go-forward basis. So the good Lord, um, he gives me rest. He sends me people. He sent Derwin to visit my mom. Um, the day before he came, she was off oxygen. <laughs> she hasn't been off oxygen in a good month. Um, but now she's off oxygen, and she's telling those folks that she's going to walk again. So, I mean, he gives me rest. He, he sends me people that I don't realize I need until they're there. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to step back and really see his work. He, he just sends me people, and he's making this journey 
um, so much more manageable and precious and good and wonderful. Um, so thank you, Lord, and thank you to this congregation because, boy, there are some folks in here that have done amazing things for me. You don't know what rest you've given me through your support and through sending the Holy Spirit. Anyway. Wow. That's awesome. Jerry. Um, I don't have stories like that to tell, but um, in my stage of life, I'm not working. I don't have structure in my life unless I make it myself. And so um, one of the structures I've put in my life so that I could abide in Jesus is um, I choose Thursdays as my Sabbath day because Sundays are way too busy for me. And um, I set a time aside just for Jesus and me. And I, I go to a meeting place with Jesus. I ask him, uh, where would you like to meet with me today, Lord? And uh, in my mind's eye, I, I get a picture of what that place might look like. And, um, and then I visualize Jesus there with me. And we start up a conversation. Now, usually when I'm just silent and praying on my, my own, just waiting for the Lord to speak, a thousand different things can come to my mind. So I've discovered that it's important for me to write it down. So what question I might have the, for the Lord that day, I write it down. And then I wait for his response. And as soon as I hear, the first thing I hear, even though it might be totally out of the blue from what I was thinking, I write it down. And it's amazing how the Lord speaks and ministers to my heart as I do this. So that's one way I abide in Jesus. That's great. You hear that? God using her imagination to be able to actually picture his presence. That's, that's practicing his presence. That's, con all, that's all kinds of prayer going on there. That's great, Jerry. Thank you. If you ever want to learn about prayer, just have a coffee with, with Jerry. Anybody else? Hello. As many of you know, because they're loud, I have three kids. <laughs> and so my husband goes to work before, uh, before I get my oldest ready for school and up and about. So mornings, mornings can be hard. And they often start at 5 AM, which is too early for anyone. And so uh, I found in the morning and throughout the day, especially bedtime, my temper, my frustration, my just like, kids, get, go, meh, that voice uh, coming up. And that's not how I want to parent my children. And it doesn't, they don't respond to that anyway. And uh, so I was really praying about how, 
how <laughs> to not do that, and how, how to parent well and um, show them God's love. And uh, Jesus just told me, essentially, abide in him, talk to him. And so when I put it into practice, which sadly isn't as much as I should, but when I put it into practice, my goodness, the second I, I feel that frustration, they're not listening, I've said this three times, come on, we're late. I just think, no, we're going to stop and we're going to pray. And I do it out loud to the children. And I say, Lord, I am feeling frustrated and things are getting out of control and I just pray for your peace right now. And, and speaking it out loud and bringing God right into it, I can't yell at your kids <laughs> right after you've talked to God. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and, so, and so his just bringing him right into it and speaking it out loud um, reminds me that I'm an example to them of who Jesus should be and reminds me that um, he is way, way more than I could ever be for them. And so I need him to parent them well. And so on the way to church, or on the way to school, we pray, to, like I just pray out loud for each of their days. And especially any time that I am feeling like out of control, I just try and remember, pray first. And, and he has never failed to, to meet me there. So That's awesome. Isn't that good? Cool. Naomi, I, I, what I love about that too is uh, not just you abiding in Jesus. You're actually modeling it to your kids. You've, you've, in, you've, in, you've invited them to kind of come on the abiding journey with you. And I think that's a great thing. And I, parents, pray out loud with your kids. I think getting that habit, I, it might be out of your comfort zone. I'd say do it anyway. Driving is a good thing. You're not making eye contact. Your, your eyes are forward, hopefully. And uh, so you don't have to look them in the eye, but uh, that's a great practice. Bill. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I do as a practice is I journal. And I journal with a particular app that allows me to actually go back and um, be able to look what I've written in years past. It's what we journal for, right? But the reality is that I have this wonderful app that allows me to write on that day. Three years ago, pops up and says, well, this is what you wrote. So I want to read what I wrote three years ago about where my life was at. Uh, and this is what it says. This was an, an entry made on February 15, 2015. Ah, the context for that season in our family's life was the uncertainty of Kevin's cancer, my son's cancer, um, and um, my, my, grandma, my mom had a stroke at that point, that time. So, I said this, I ponder the connection of delighting in the Lord, because I was reflecting on Psalm 34, 4 that morning, and the whole of Psalm 150, the instruction to praise the Lord. In both cases, the object of the affection is God. The attention is solely on the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The focus is on his acts of power and his surpassing greatness. And then I said this to the Lord, Lord, as I stare into the harsh realities of mortality, of the fragility of physical, mental, and emotional being, as I face the circumstances of my mom's stroke and the road ahead of recovery, whatever that may look like, along with Kevin's cancer and the uncertainty of where that will take us, I say, you are my strength of my heart. I rely on you. I delight in you. You are well aware of the desires of my heart. That was three years ago. Kevin is, can we say he's healed? I believe that God's used a lot of 
the prayers of his, the kingdom, but he is doing the best we can possibly imagine. He's uh, healthy, as healthy as can be for someone who's been fighting uh, the severity of the brain cancer he was diagnosed with. My um, mother has had a stroke. Since that time, she had a stroke, and she also has uh, had a uh, fall, which broke her hip, so she had to get her hip replacement. She's turning 90, and she's a fighter, and she just keeps going. Um, but one other thing I want to share with you, too, that, that was in another piece of my journal. I shared with this with the, the ops team uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe others as well, that in 2015, I was asking the Lord, where are you right now? Um, and I just had a couple of different prayer requests. Kevin's cancer was one of them. At that time, the relationship between Hillside and, and myself, we're not really close at that point. And so here we are, 2019, and I'm serving one year anniversary here. So God has done tremendous things. And abiding in Jesus means to me that through the rockiness of life, that I can trust him. That's what this is about. That's where my faith has been rocked over and over again, but he continues to be faithful. That's what abiding in Jesus means to me. Amen. Thank you. That's uh, about all the time we have to share like that. Um, really appreciate those stories. I, 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 one theme I heard was that our need actually pushes us into relation, relationship with God. <laughs> like sometimes it's, it's actually times of crisis and pain like in 2015 where God, you're asking where, is, where was God? And uh, you're actually practicing abiding in Jesus in a season that was tough. And I heard that again and again in those stories. And so if you're in times of, of crisis, uh, be open to what God might want, be wanting to do in those seasons. Um, we're going to read scripture together. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm um, going to look at uh, John chapter 14. Verses 16 to 20. And these are, and then 25 to 27. These are verses that we have read recently, so they'll be familiar to some of you. They'll be on the screen as well. But John chapter 14, 16 to 20. And I will ask the Father. Oh, let's, uh, can I encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word? <laughs> be, be good to do. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Then verse 25 all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. May God bless the reading of his word. Please have a seat. Thanks, Angel, for sharing. Thank you, Devin. Those scriptures that Devin just read, um, those were the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples the day before he died. Those were his last hours with, Jesus, uh, with his disciples. 
as I know Dervin has read those scriptures before when we were doing Abiding with Christ, but today I want to look at it from a different angle with this communion table in front of us. That is um, Jesus packed with the Trinitarian theology, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's interesting in verse 16 and in verse 25, Ju Jesus uses the word advocate. In some of your versions, it may have said uh, counselor, helper, comforter. Comforter, you might think, is somebody who holds your hands and comforts you. Um, counselor, maybe you imagine a therapist listening to all your troubles and counsels you. Uh, maybe the assist, uh, helper, you think it's an assistant. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. The word Jesus uses, the Greek word is parakalete. Uh, it's a noun, and the verb form being Parakaleo. Parakaleo is two words, para and kaleo. Kaleo means to call or to direct someone. Remember that, to call or to direct someone. Para means to come alongside. Uh, we use that uh, prefix in English, paralegal, paramedic. Uh, someone who comes alongside to support you while you go to the hospital, paramedic. I don't know whether you notice there is a tension there. To call or direct someone is an active and a forceful role. Come alongside someone is, is to have a relationship, someone who sympathizes with you. So do you see the tension there? So paraclete is someone who challenges you and someone who supports you. It's interesting in the NIV and the NLT, uh, the word used there is advocate. It's a legal word. Uh, I think that's why uh, in some versions it says counsel, counselor. It counselor is somebody, a legal counsel, okay? Um, so it's a defense attorney. Nowadays we don't use the word advocate very often, but it's a defense attorney. Now, defense attorney is not there to comfort you, uh, even though they sympathize with you, but they are there to challenge you and to help your case, for you to win the case. That's why a defense attorney is there. Uh, they are there to speak to you, but they are also there to speak to the powers that be for you, for example, to the jury and to the judge, right? They are the ones who speak for you. So this is the definition Jesus gives for the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, Jesus uses, he says, my father will give you another advocate, another paraclete. Now you must, when you hear that, do you wonder, another advocate? That means there is already an advocate there. If he's going to give you another one, who's the first advocate? The only other place in, in the New Testament the word paraclete is used is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the anointing sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus is the first advocate, and Holy Spirit is the second one. I think the key to understanding Jesus' work on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts, I think is one of the key understanding is to understand the word what advocate means. When you have an holy and awesome God and we are broken, sinful people, we know, we all know we need an advocate. We do. Now, what does an advocate do for you? You know, the first time I heard the word advocate uh, was when I was a little girl, uh, was my grandfather. My grandfather was a defense attorney. I'm originally from Sri Lanka, and uh, the Sri Lankan uh, prime minister was assassinated, and there were four, uh, four men and one, uh, three men and one woman was accused. And my grandfather was the defense attorney for one of the accused. All the others were put in prison, uh, life imprisonment, but except for the man my grandfather uh, defended and he was set free. So that's the way I, because in his office it said Advocate Curtis, and on his desk it said Advocate Curtis. So that's the way the first time I heard the word advocate. What does an advocate do? In the courtroom, the defense attorney is you. The defense attorney is you. The advocate is you in the courtroom. In the courtroom, you disappear in your advocate. Let me explain. If I'm a bumbling idiot and my attorney is eloquent and very smart, I look eloquent and very smart in the court. If you don't know anything about the law, and if your advocate knows everything about the law, and he's pretty smart and brilliant, you look very smart and brilliant in the courtroom. If your lawyer, if your advocate loses the case, you lose. If he wins, you win. You are hidden in your advocate in the courtroom. Now this is Jesus. It says if anyone does sin, which we all do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, Jesus is not only a great advocate, but like John says, he is the atoning sacrifice for us. When I fall short, when I miss the mark, like you said, which I did as a mother, you know, I would have these great ideas. I was going to be a great mother. I would be patient. I would be kind. I would be gentle. And then I have two boys who are wild and uh, they would get me all riled up and all thoughts of patience and kindness would just disappear and I would be shouting and I'd be going, 
Lord, I don't want to do this. And I would confess and I would ask for mercy. And oftentimes when that happened, I imagined this. Jesus interceding for me and pleading for me. I, I, I imagined this is what Jesus would say to the Father. I am Angel's defense attorney, and she's not doing well today. In fact, she's not doing well this whole week. <laughs> give her a break for my sake and give her another chance. That's what I would imagine. And you know what? I wasn't too smart. I still am not very smart because I would make the mistake again. I would have all these wonderful ideas in my head and then something happens and I am not so nice again. And I could see the Father forgiving me because Jesus asked. And then some point in time, I do it again and again, and he says, time out, angel, time out. No more chances. I imagine the Father saying that. But you know what? Uh, I, uh, I read uh, this from Tim Keller's, uh, one of his books, and that really changed me, and that's what inspired this message. Um, what, that's not what really happens. This is what happens in reality. Jesus goes before the Father and he says, she has sinned, not only today, but this whole week. And the penalty of her sin is death because I want to do things my way. I want to be the king of my castle, the queen of my kingdom, right? And he says the, the penalty of her independence and self-sufficiency is death, just like it was for Adam and Eve. But then Jesus says, but I have paid the penalty for her sin with my death, the death on that cross. And he says, if anyone requires two payments for the sin, it is unjust. The justice demands that only one payment be made for our sin. That's why in 1 John 1, 9, uh, it says, if we confess our sin, he, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive our sins. The Father forgives us because the justice demands it because the payment for sin has been made. It's interesting, when Jesus died on the cross, the last words from the cross is, he says, it is finished. Do you know it's an accounting term, that word Jesus uses? It's finished. It means it's paid in full. The debt is paid. Paid, the books are closed, it's cancelled. I'm an accountant. I know what it means when the books are closed. You don't have to look at it again. And that's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, the Father will send you another advocate, who's the Spirit. Now, why do we need two advocates? We have one who is pleading with the Father, interceding for us. Why do we need a second one? The second one, Jesus says, he will be in you, speaking truth to you. 
He, and he goes on in, in, in John chapter 14, but we read before. He's going to teach you and remind you of the things that I said to you. So the second advocate lives in you, and he argues with you, beseeches you, convicts you, talks to you. That's the second advocate's job. He's inside you. It's interesting, uh, in, the, in the, um, the disciples were with Jesus for three years. You would think they would have got it all worked out. But you know when they got it? It was when, uh, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. And then all of a sudden, all the lights went on. The advocate com comes to convict you, to light the inner darkness, the shadows that goes on, that we try to justify. That's what he does. He comes inside us. He, he helps us understand the depths of our sinfulness. But he also reminds us how much we are loved. How much we are loved. So it is in the shadow of the cross at this communion table, we remember how deeply we are loved by God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the precious Spirit, the God of the universe. Worship team, I would like for you guys to come. And uh, as we... Uh, oh, and the prayer team, if you guys could go to the back, the prayer team and the elders... On the night before Jesus died, at the Last Supper, Jesus uh, took the bread and the wine that was at the table. And he took the bread, broke it, and said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. And took the cup and said, this is my blood. And he said, eat this and drink this as often so you would rem in remembrance of me. So as, as you come to take the uh, communion, come through this middle aisles and go back to your seats through the side and come in single file so that people could get back to their seats. Um, and want to encourage you for you to go to the prayer team and pray for you. And before we do that, I want to read you about the first advocate. It says in Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. If you are going through grief and sorrows, you have an advocate who understands because he has gone through it. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows and sicknesses that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. 
he was beaten so we could be whole do you want to be whole whether your brokenness is your physical body or mental or relational brokenness spiritual brokenness he was beaten so we could be whole he was whipped so we could be healed all of us like sheep have gone astray we have left god's path to follow our own yet the lord laid on him the sins of us all this table and this invitation is opened for you by jesus he wants you to come he wants you to be made right made whole if you don't know jesus i would ask you to say lord i don't know you but i want to know you i want to begin this relationship with you and thus begins this relationship the advocate comes to walk alongside you and uh if you love jesus and you want to love him more this table is open for you come